Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Visit RCAT.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. My guest today is Erin Kalfin, Project Architect, Senior Associate, and Office Design Leader at DLR Group in Chicago. I asked Aaron for a bio, and instead, he sent me a philosophy, which I think is really awesome. Like me, Aaron has a deep interest in learning, asking questions like, what has changed your perspective about design, architecture, and the built environment? Why have those things changed your perspective? How has this influenced your actions? I'm stealing those questions, by the way. Aaron has a constant curiosity about all-encompassing lessons learned that is not strictly limited to a specific project's post-mortem. That curiosity includes everything leading up to project delivery and beyond. Thoughtfully applied lessons have positive powers to elevate the performance of the built environment and elevate the quality of the human experience within it. What Aaron didn't spell out for me in his bio was that he has worked on some pretty incredible projects. A couple of note, the Ace Hotel, his first hotel in Chicago, One Bennett in Chicago, Kroger Field in Kentucky, and I didn't know this till I looked at his portfolio, the absolutely gorgeous 5MLK in my own hometown of Portland, Oregon. These are just a few. This guy's portfolio is impressive. The project we're going to talk about today is the new Hilton Hotel in Jacksonville, Florida. This soon-to-be-in-construction Hilton Hotel is adjacent to the globally renowned Mayo Clinic campus in Jacksonville and is intended to serve patients, visitors, and travelers alike. The project design seamlessly implements a heightened level of universal and accessible design in an elegant hospitality atmosphere. 
Florida makes many things about this project distinctly unique, at least to many designers and architects in Chicago. Jacksonville is within Duval County, which requires planning for wind speeds up to 125 miles an hour. Jacksonville is in a hot and humid climate where it rains 50 inches on average annually. I can totally relate to that. And did I mention that Jacksonville has a hurricane issue? Special design loads are required for the superstructure, window systems, and every exterior product on the building. These products require a cataloged Florida approval number. The FL approval number signifies the product passed rigorous testing to ensure it can be safely implemented in the Floridian environment and withstand the elements. Surreal being on. I've been listen I've been an avid listener for, you know, the past couple months now. So excited to be on season two. I put a tweet out today that said, What happens when you send me an email saying I'm enjoying your podcast? <laughs> You end up being my guest. But thank you. I appreciate your kind words. Um, I am glad to know that people are listening and hopefully learning something from it because I know you and I are, I think, kindred spirits a little bit in the department of, you know, wanting to learn from each other and kind of open those doors. Uh, Tell me about this building. Yeah. So, like you mentioned, it's in Jacksonville. And Jacksonville is not near Chicago. So there was a lot of learning learning opportunities for us here in Chicago. We definitely had to consider the, the high wind speeds and the hot and humid climate. So it affected the building design significantly and how we detailed the building. So specifically, like, like you touched upon, we needed Florida approval for the products on the building exterior. So what that means is these materials go through like a rigorous testing and a testing report to see the performance of this assembly and that assem- the assembly is documented and it's good to go. It's Florida approved, at least for this zone. There's there's various like levels um, of certificate you might need depending on which hurricane zone or wind zone that you're in. We had a variety of materials on this project and perhaps more materials than I've ever used on a building. We were trying to you know really capture a specific type of texture and atmosphere um, in this hospitality environment, but also really respect like sort of like the Mayo Clinic campus and like how that appears. There were a lot of aesthetics and types of systems we were balancing there. Getting back to the Florida approval, these assemblies that were approved, we were finding did not include insulation outboard of the wall structure. So there wasn't insulation tested outside like steel studs, for example. It was just the studs any sort of subframing and girt system and then the cladding directly on that. And that was sort of an issue because according to, you know, like the Florida Energy, Energy Conservation Code, we need to have continuous insulation wrapping the building. So we were at like a, a cha- our first challenge there. And, you know, this is something that we actually investigated really early on in the project. And it's sort of researching structurally insulated sheathing products. And so what's great about this is it basically is a structural sheathing that's an extension of the backup wall that has insulation in it and allows you to attach any of the cladding system just as you would to steel studs. But now you're just making sure that you have like the proper fastener pattern and the amount of fasteners to attach to the sheathing. And, you know, that's something that, you know, the manufacturer will provide. So 
this was a first uh, structurally insulated sheathing. It was a really good kind of light bulb for us in the projects. We were able to use this everywhere on the building for every opaque uh, wall cladding that we were doing. Furthermore, these products sometimes have factory applied weather barrier. And so it's kind of like really nice for sequencing, perhaps like it, it could save some time. It could um, allow a sort of very easy detail. So we were initially told that that's actually what we didn't want. We didn't want to use the factory applied weather barrier because it was vapor permeable. And our project is actually going to be mostly cooling. And there was concern that if we were using a vapor permeable product, that we would have condensation that would build up. So we were recommended to go the route of the non-coated structurally insulated sheathing and then apply a non-permeable barrier on top of that. So that's the route we kind of held for a long time. And then as we researched this a bit more later, we found out that non-coated system was discontinued. So that wasn't great because we were, I mean, it was everywhere. It was on every single assembly that we were using. And like I mentioned before, we had a lot of different wall materials and wall assemblies. So we went back, looked at the product with the permeable factory applied membrane and passed that on, that information on to our high performance design team at DLR. And we gave them our wall assemblies, product information. And they, you know, they ran through their model and there was a very, very, very low likelihood of any condensation building up in the wall. So we perhaps even saved another step because now we don't need another product to apply directly to that structurally insulated sheathing. Our buildings are getting so complicated that we have to look at things completely differently than we did even 10 years ago. And it takes more time. What, what really impresses me about what you said is that your team took the time and took the time to talk to people who may be more specialists, you know, within your firm to evaluate, you know, as much as anybody can, that you're, you're putting the right things in the, in the right order, because <laughs> you do things in a different order in different parts of the country. And doing that due diligence makes all the difference when you start getting into construction. And then obviously people start living in the building. You said you listened to all the podcasts, so you heard the story about the IMAX theater with a lake in the lobby. Th those are the kinds of things we don't want to encounter down the road. And doing our homework now, instead of that famous, I don't have time, which my head spins around on my neck every time somebody says those words, you, you do have time because you don't have time later or the money. So I love that. So what's the cladding on this building? I, don't, I forgot to put the picture up in front of me, so now I don't remember. We'll definitely talk about the cladding. I want to just add to something you said. So we are lucky at DLR because we have a lot of different specialized groups that are experts and like concentrate on like something very specifically. And so they ran, I don't know if I mentioned it, like a woofy, woofy test, woofy analysis, like W-U-F-I. Okay. The first time I heard that, I actually spelled it in an email to several people outside my firm, W-O-O-F-I. <laughs> I totally, I would have added an E on the end as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the type of analysis they did to determine like the performance of the vapor barrier like on our project. And thankfully, we're going, we're proceeding. And like I think part of our job and part of what I realized over time as like a designer and an architect is 
rely on all the experts. I mean, every manufacturer, like all the cladding systems that we were using, all the equipment that we were using, we were we actually have uh, retractable awnings, like really large ones in this project too. So everything from like equipment to cladding, like when I'm calling and talking to manufacturers, I'm really relying on their expertise. They know way more about these assemblies than I do. Getting to your point about materials, we have um, we have ACM, we have fiber cement, we have this wood look, aluminum cladding, aluminum battens that are like two by sixes. We have this glass canopy assembly with aluminum battens like under slung. This thin stone veneer. Jeez, let's let's not make this building an easy design here. No, this was, <laughs> we spent a lot of time. There was a lot of different systems going on there. And so with the glass canopy, the initial concept was to actually have like this fritted, like ceramic frit glass, laminated glass, and then underslung aluminum battens. But as we were talking to the canopy manufacturer, you know, we were advised that the frit and laminated glass isn't Florida approved. I don't think it's been tested yet, so it's, that's why it's not approved, but it might not pass the test depending on the density of the frit because the lamination is compromised a bit by all those areas where you might have stripes of ceramic frit, so it might not have that same bonding strength. So that kind of led us down towards like a really lightly colored like crystal gray glass. Um, so it doesn't have like a 100% UV transmission, but they'll block a little bit of it. And then we'll still get like a nice like dappling and shadowing of light because we do have these like aluminum rectangular battens underneath the canopy. So it's like a really large expanse and it's like this huge cantilever. There's this enormous beam running over the head of it. But another thing layered on top of that is the type of lamination to be used. There's two different types of lamination that you can use. There's SGP and PVB. If you're going to have glass with an exposed edge, you typically want to do SGP. That type of lamination is, is more durable and much less likely to delaminate or discolor. The PVB, the technology has improved over time, and depending on how it's assembled, you might not have any issues. But in the past, there has, it has been shown to like delaminate a little bit, to have a little bit of discoloration over time unless you have it completely captured. So if there's like a metal edge to that, then you know, you're good to go. My brain's spinning a little bit here. I'm listening to you talk about all these different claddings. It's got me thinking about transitions, but before you talk to me about the transitions, what kind of roof do you have on this building? It's TPO. TPO, okay. So tell me about these transitions. How did, how did you get this all to work? That's a lot of that's a lot of different finishes on the outside of the building. There is no, there's a lot of finishes. You know, generally, so like the podium itself, that's mostly the stone veneer, and the coping is actually a cast stone coping, and so we're actually just running, you know, running the TPO up. Um, it's actually a relatively simple transition. So we have like the cast stone. We have some counter flashing there. It's it's actually there's a plywood as the parapet backup. But that would perhaps maybe the one of the more simpler details on the project. Um, some of the more complicated ones are there's these plan details about how the stone wall folds in. And the reason it folds in is it creates a reveal for a cove, like a light cove. And in there we have a LED light grazer, so it's going to wash that stone wall. So 
in order to achieve that fold, we're kind of running two layers of a stud wall. And so we have a six inch wall, then another six inch wall, and every 10 feet, we have a two foot wide pilaster. And then from that edge of the pilaster, the wall tapers into that first layer of six inch stud. So we're able to kind of like have a six inch change in plane. And that's where the most complicated details are. And I imagine, you know, we'll probably go through an iteration of that in construction or two, because we want to make sure we want to make sure we have the proper control joints for the stone so it's not cracking. And we want to make sure that that light cove also kind of works well without concern for like cracking because it's, it's overhanging a little bit. We have a, three, a series of three or actually six retractable awnings. It looks like three because how they are uh, modulated over the pool deck dining area. And it's embedded within our architectural canopy. And the architectural canopy, it serves a few purposes. It's providing like shade and shelter. It's defining the space. It's also controlling water. We have the water, you know, leading to roof trains. And then the roof leaders are either buried in the wall, so they're concealed, or buried in a column, so they're concealed. And then those actually connect to like underground civil piping, and then all the water is then taken away. The more complex addition is the retractable awnings. So you also need to understand how that captures any additional water that tries to come in through the sides of the canopy. So there's a gutter system that's integral to the canopy. Everything about this project is very, very concealed, very elegant. So we're trying to bring the gutters back into the architectural canopy and either to lead to a drain and another leader line or there's some sort of downspout. So there's just a lot of coordination between like our plumbing engineer or structural engineer or civil engineer. So tell me about the, the disciplines you worked with and who was integral in helping you work through some of these complexities you've been talking about. Every discipline is super integral. We're not experts at everything. So we're doing our best to help communicate the design intent and the goals of the clients, all of our, all of our consultants and I would say there's a few things that like I was particularly involved on that like I can think about. And it was something that was brought to the attention of the design team by the owner, which is, it was a great comment early on. We have this like nine foot wall wrapping around the pool and in Jacksonville, that might not be ideal because you, you kind of want to promote breezes and not just encapsulate a hot and humid. <laughs> right. Exactly. So you know, we we did some uh, wind analysis. We have like some climate tools at DLR, and we just studied like how the wind is operating in the hottest times of year, and that you know that led us to like influence like how we might perforate this wall a little bit and promote breezes and make it a little bit more pleasant when you're not in the shade or not in the pool. Tell me a little bit about what's unique about the interior of this building so from the moment you arrive at like the portacochere drop off everything's very seamless so we coordinated very carefully with civil to make sure we're not having any sort of raised curb for these guests and you know a lot of the reason is to heighten universal accessible barrier to free design because of the demographics likely to be at the hotel we're situated adjacent to mayo campus and we're the demographics are going to be 
patients, patient like visitors to patients, and of course there's going to be uh, business travelers. So that's kind of emblematic of how we treated the interior. Very barrier free, very universal. However, with a very very luxury, thoughtful expression. It's not like a hospital. It feels right. like very much like you're in a resort. And I think that's going to make a lot of difference uh, for your for the experience. Um, it's subtle. It's very subtle. Uh, additionally, we focused all the public spaces on this pond, and so that brings all of the uh, public spaces towards like the back of the building and the tower in the front of the building. And the reason we did that was kind of to promote you know all of those views to the natural landscape that we get to like take advantage of around the area. So we're focusing on that. And then in, as far as specific like elements, there are a lot of like sculptural features to the ceiling on some of the walls um, that run through the pre-function space um, that lead you towards the ballrooms. But it, it's all taking cues of this environment, of this, the natural setting. So the idea is to kind of have a lot of natural inspiration. So that while the exterior of the building is more geometric and like hard edges that gets softened up for a more like serene environment on the interior. You just, you just kind of blew my mind with that last question a little bit, because I mean, obviously I read up on the project and I knew it was next to the Mayo Clinic, but it didn't occur to me till you started talking about the building that an even bigger consideration for accessibility than what you might do in another hotel that's in the middle of downtown wherever, knowing that you have that demographic right next door. I, I just love how seriously you took that piece of the demographic in making this seamless process so those people who maybe don't don't move around as well as others that are that are using the facilities next door have that same pleasurable experience. Um, but looking back on for the design process, on your process and the solutions that you had to find along the way, meeting the Florida requirements, all of these different things, what would you say your biggest lessons learned from this building were? Now that I know a bit more about Florida-approved products, that really helps save some time and energy because um, I can kind of go directly towards those sources and start thinking about that in the beginning of the design process and perhaps limiting the quantity of materials, a <laughs> variety of materials. It made for just a lot of conditions, but um, it did help us achieve something pretty unique. So we'll see it pay off eventually. Well, I imagine everybody working on this building having to you know, I, I'm a spec writer. I'm thinking, I'm glad I didn't have to write the spec for that hotel. Um, but, you know, I think I, I would guess that your team, you know, some projects are a bigger growth experience than others. And the more you got going on in the building, the more you're going to learn throughout that design process. Everybody is, because there's not a one of us that will ever know everything. It just doesn't happen. Um, and so more broadly, outside of your project or your role or even your firm, we all have areas in the industry based on our own perspectives that, that we see that we think we repeatedly fail. What's the thing that makes you just go, ah, just do this and we don't have to have this problem anymore? What I would love is if 
all architects and designers, engineers, we were all just gifted the ability to be a master of any design software that we <laughs> encounter. It changes rapidly and we spend a lot of time relearning like how to use new softwares or, or changes to software. I mean, it's not time badly spent and, you know, generally we're pretty good with it, but if we were all experts, if we can all use these soft, the software to like its fullest ability, it would really allow us to focus fully on the end result and like all the research that can be done for these projects. Cause we do have to spend a lot of time wrestling with software sometimes and it's a challenge. And there are some experts with various software that really get to like, it, it helps us push the envelope with documentation, with design, with modeling, with rendering, and can really fully utilize like the power of some of these software. But most of us who are good or even great can't really appreciate the full value of some of the software to make us that much more efficient or have more abilities to help visualize and help communicate the design to the client. Well, our technology has been, I mean, I've watched this. Ah, I, I don't want to say this out loud, but when I started, I had one computer when I started in this industry and it was a Tandy com computer from Radio Shack. And you're probably not even old enough to know what that is, but we have come so far in such a short time in technology that I've watched. I, I watched when they went from drawing on the boards to the very early versions of AutoCAD. And, and this, it's just been this constant learning curve ever since. And I don't know that that will ever stop, but it seems to be, it seems like it's just been so ridiculously rapid that there's been no choice for everybody to be on nothing but this constant technology learning curve. And just when you feel like you're getting a good groove, here comes the newest thing. Um, you seem to be rather young for the role that you have, but our whole, you go look around any office right now and our offices are, are filled with um, younger people than historically we've seen in architecture firms in higher roles of responsibility. Largely due to our generational shift with all the boomers leaving, no Gen Xers to fill their shoes, which is a great opportunity for our younger younger professionals because they have the ability. It's not that they can't do that. It's just it's never been done that way. You know, there's my other hated turn. We've always done it this way. How are you seeing and how do you think this generational shift is going to affect our firms and the way we've always done things? I think it's going to just totally upset the apple cart in a very positive way. But how do you see, what do you see things looking like as we move through this massive shift? You know, I, I think it's, um, it is a positive thing. And a lot of younger designers and architects are going to see opportunity and take more initiative, knowing that they can grow the way that they would like to grow and not necessarily feel contained to one type of experience for a long time. There is importance to doing things over and over and over and over right. and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's really, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that, but what, what I'm finding, like I'm, I'm working with really young designers right now and it's remarkable how much they can do. And 
you wouldn't think that it would be one or two years out of school. And that's a positive thing for the industry. And I, and I think, and I hope there's going to be more of that happening, more younger designers coming into the industry. Cause there is, there's seemingly like a little bit of a gap on labor in architecture. Like we need, we need more, more talent. So I, I think this message, these messages are important to see that there is paths to go and that you don't necessarily need to wait 40 years to take a responsibility that you're interested in that's part of your passion to affect change and make a difference in like the office environment that you're in. There's a, a, a women's architect group on Facebook that I'm a part of, and I kind of, you know, most of them are quite a bit younger than and I, younger than I am, and I, I kind of operate on that side as more of a mentor kind of role, giving just my experience when somebody wants it. There was a young lady just yesterday, yesterday or the day before, that was talking about her passion is design, and she just can't get her firm to let her do any design, get her even a little piece, you know, get her feet wet at all. And she's considering taking this construction management type of position somewhere else because she says, nobody's ever going to let me design. I'm going to have to do this for 30 years before anybody lets me design anything. And my advice to her was, things are changing and they're changing fast. Maybe it's not that you need to switch disciplines and work in a different role. Maybe you need to find a firm that is more empowering to their younger people who have a passion for design. Um, you know, you know, some people find out that maybe they're not as good of designers as they think they are. That's part of the process, but you can't even figure that out if you won't let anybody come near it. And I, th I think we have or are getting past the point of you know drawing stair details for 10 years straight before anybody lets you do anything. We are definitely in an environment where I think our younger people have more choices than I had when I was their age. And, you know, if this firm isn't serving my needs and my, my growth, maybe I need to find one that will. Um, so that, that's really interesting. So you're getting my final question. And I know when we talked before, you were like, oh, I got to figure out how I'm answering your final question. If you were master of the universe, and had complete control, and nobody could stop you, and you could make it one one thing the way you want it to be, what would that thing be? Well, I sort of answered my po magic powers of software. I think that <laughs> that's part of my answer. The other part is nothing necessarily novel, but I think integrated design and partnering and, you know, it's going back to the collaborative nature of things. We do it in such like a hybrid way. Right now, I feel like, you know, we still have sort of like traditional design bid build, but with like hybrid approaches where there is some pricing being done really early on and there are, there is some feedback being done early on, but it's still in like, sometimes like in a very like siloed way. It's not necessarily in a working sort of way. It's more at like mile, milestones where that, that type of thing happens. So having like more working sessions versus like milestones and then feedback upon there. I mean, I think that's still important, but perhaps like there could be a bit more of it. Communication and collaboration seem to be coming up over and over again, which really drives me insane. Everybody's saying it. Why aren't we all changing things that we do so that we're actually doing it? And then to do it in an efficient way is also a challenge. There needs to be like almost 
the strategy for the strategy, but then is that inefficient? I, I, I'm an efficiency freak. So trust me, I find efficient ways to do every single thing I do. And I think it can be done. I just think that no offense, listeners, architects and engineers tend to overthink things sometimes and make things more difficult than they need to be. Because for somehow it's not valid if we don't put all these requirements in there. We're sometimes simple and straightforward is the the best and straightest and most efficient path. Yeah, sometimes it takes a bit of time to edit back and refine the details to simplify it sometimes. My, my mission is total world domination. If you haven't heard me say that yet, I have total faith that yours is as well. So I look forward to what you do going forward and future conversations. And thank you so much, Aaron, for joining me today. It's truly been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, rcat has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try rcat and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.